Good morning. Just in case it isn't clear, I am her, Adrian. <laughs> um, it's always a real privilege to be able to, to, be able to share, and um, a couple of weeks back, Adrian asked if I may be able to do this morning, and um, I'm going to move back, not because I'm scared of you, but just to improve my peripheral vision uh, so that I can, I can, uh, can see you all. And, um, and very quickly, I, I sort of was sort of seeking the Lord on this, and I, and I had a real burden and like an emotional burden in, in some areas. And so that makes me a bit extra excited because I feel that God might be part of this. Um, and and that's, that's a good thing, don't you reckon? If uh, God could be part of something we do on a Sunday morning? I'm, I'm in for that. I'm just going to share a, a brief little story um, that I actually shared many years ago and um, um, uh, that um, is, a, is a, bit, a bit humorous and um, it, it has been a while since I've shared it so I thought I w- would, would offer me permission to be able to share this again today. So two scenarios here. So one, there is an old farmer. He went to the city one weekend, he attended this big city church, and he came home and his wife asked him how it was, and the farmer says, yeah, it was, it was good. They did something different, however. They sang praise choruses instead of hymns. So they sang praise choruses instead of hymns. We're used to hymns. So, and the wife says, well, praise choruses, what, what are they? And he said, well, well, they're okay, they're sort of like hymns, but, but a bit different. And the wife says, well, what's, what's the difference? I want to know about these things. And the farmer said, well, well it's like this. If, if I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a hymn. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the black and the white cows, the cows, 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 they're in the corn or in the corn, Oh, yeah, the cows are in the corn, corn, corn. Yes, it's true. The whole herd is in the awesome corn. Yes, it's true. The herd is in the awesome corn. Well, it's true. The whole herd is in the awesome corn. Hallelujah. Well, that would be a praise chorus. (laughs) Part two. So a young Christian went to a local church usually one day, but one weekend he attended a small town church and he came home and his wife asked how it was. And he said, well, it was good, but they did something different, however. They sang hymns instead of the normal songs. Hymns, his wife says, what what are they? And he says, well, well, they're okay. They're sort of like regular songs, but but different. And um, the wife says, well, what's the difference? I want to know what these hymns are. And and the young man said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a regular song. But if, on the other hand, I were to say to you, O oh, Martha, dear Martha, hear thou my cry. Inclinest thy ear to the words of my mouth. Turn thy, thou whole wondrous ear by and by to the righteous, inimitable, glorious truth. For the way of the animals, who can explain? There in their heads is no shadow of sense. Harkness they in God's corn they are fenced. Yea, these cows in glad bovine and rebellious delight have broke free their shackles, their warm pens eschewed. Then goaded by minions of darkness and night, they all my mild chilliwack sweet corn have chewed. 
So look to that bright shining day by and by where all foul corruptions of earth are reborn, where no vicious animal makes my soul cry, and I no longer see these foul cows in the corn. Amen. And if they were to do verses 1, 2, and 4 with a key change on the last verse, that would be a hymn. Okay, I thought it might be nice to have a light introduction this morning. Now, I had to concentrate on that, I I will will, will say. So this morning, I have entitled uh, my message, The Main Event. And, And this is the next part in the series that we've been doing on worship, but I want to clarify one thing and make it clear that when I use these words, the, the main end, I don't want us to jump to any conclusions about what that, what that might be. And I'm, and I'm not saying that, that, what, that worship as we know it, as we experience here on a Sunday, I'm not even saying that that is the main event, the preaching of the word is, is not the main event, because there is so much more to worship than this. There is so much more, and we've been hearing about that for a number of weeks. Um, in fact, there are a lot of things we do here on a, on a Sunday morning. So what do we, we often do here on a Sunday morning? So we sing some songs. We take communion. We've done this for a while now, so it's all right. So we have preaching of the word. Fellowship. Yeah. Tithes and offerings. We pray. So, oh, oh, great, great things. And, and most of these things are not necessarily the main event. We have great coffee, getting better all, all the time. Um, but individually, they're not the main event, but that they're all part of the, the main event. And, um, I mean, our life calling, if we were to numb it back to its simplest form, it is to know God and to make him known, you know, in its absolute simplest form. That's what it is. And the main event really is about us encountering and knowing Jesus. But many of these things are a part of that. Now, it sounds crazy to give away the punchline right at the start of a message, doesn't it? We're meant to sort of lead. But I, I thought it was really important that we make it clear what the main event is. And that is that, that we know Jesus and that we can make, make him known. And in our gathering together, our relationship with him and intimacy with him ultimately that is the main event and there's a whole lot of other things that happen and and benefits that come from us gathering together and as we look at at worship i also want to make clear that's that's our focus this, this morning that worship is not music they are two separate things and music is not necessarily worship and just because someone is musical or they can sing well that doesn't make their worship any more acceptable to God than someone who can't sing. I think it's really important that we, we, we clarify that. We had some discussions in Life Group along those lines during, during this week, and I was already preparing this message and uh, sort of holding back on all that I thought about those things. Cause, but it, it, it's true. And I, look, I've heard some people have questioned that, and they say, you know, but when someone's got a, a great voice and, and they're skilled and there's an anointing upon them and they, and they play, doesn't, doesn't God get a kick out of that? Absolutely he does. But we need to be clear about those things that please God because of a heart that is directed towards him versus the thing that pleases God because he sees his kids running in the th- giftings that he's given them, whatever that might be. Do you hear me? Sorry? Kids have heard the word. Yes. 
Yeah, so there is an anointing on musicians and, and, on, and on people to, to lead others in worship, to inspire, to, to encourage, but we need to be clear. And I, I want to repeat it because we need to know the difference between that which pleases God because he hears a heart that is intent on him and that which pleases God because he sees Angel and Adrian and Adam and, and Heather and Nate and Flynn and, and all these guys going for it in the gifting that, he, that is on, his, on their life. And God gets a kick out of that. Very different, though, to, to that which he hears in a heart. Now, you combine the two of those things, and it is a wonderful thing. I want to give a, a couple of examples. King David, skilled and anointed musician. Um, but what is it that, that pleases God? I hope you can read that. Yeah, it's much bigger on this screen here. From, from Psalm 63, listen, listen to these words. And, and this is the sort of heart that pleases God. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love, it's better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift your hands. And there's nothing at all about, about skill here, about performance, but it's about an earnest expression and a heart that's inclined towards God. This is, this is a part of worship. This is David who is after God's own heart. And you'll find a lot of the psalms. Now, there are different flavors throughout, throughout the psalms, but a lot of what you'll hear from David is this absolute abandoned desire for God, time and time again. Another example is Lucifer. We can use him as an example. This great angel in heaven who fell through pride and rebellion. He led the worship in heaven. He was obviously gifted in, in getting people stirred up, skilled in instruments. And in fact, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28, it actually says that there were wind and percussion instruments that were part of his being. That's weird to us, isn't it? But it's like, you know, these attachments that are, that are part of him. And he could make music without even trying, just sort of walking down the street. And whoops, what, what happened there? You know, there were, there were, which could just produce sound. Multiple pipes. It refers to pipes and, and timbrels. You know, we have one pipe. So there was, there was this capacity that was built into to Lucifer, into his being. There was a gifting. He was chosen and he was anointed to lead people into God's presence. But in the darkening of his heart and for his desire for others to worship him, his beauty and the sounds counted for nothing. So because someone can sing, because someone can play an instrument, it doesn't make their worship, or at least their musical expression of worship, because worship is more than just musical expression, it doesn't make it any more acceptable to the Lord than someone who can't hold a note to, have, hold a note to save themselves. This isn't an open invitation to the music team, Okay. I haven't spoken to Liz about that, but it isn't an open invitation because um, there, there are other parts of, 
us singing and singing to one another, you know, and that's important as well as we come together and we encourage one another. And I know that we, in our, our capacity, um, do find certain things pleasant and certain things unpleasant in a different way to what God does. And so it's important as well that we don't make God out to play favourites when it comes to worship because otherwise we can make an idol out of music and musical gifting and we can make an idol out of the gifting in others as well and that didn't turn out too well for for Lucifer did it when when things started to shift and twist there so I said earlier that music is not necessarily worship music is an expression and there are different types of expressions we we had them this morning in songs we have expressions from man to man or person to person should be no, but, and we had songs like that this morning. Sing a little louder. We're not, we're not singing that to God, are we? We're, we're stirring one another up. And so there's an expression that's going on. And, and there's a place for that, that type of expression. But the ultimate expression of, of music or any gifting or, or anything, the highest purpose is that expression which is from the heart of man to the heart of God. That's the ultimate expression of, of any, any gifting, whatever that gifting may be, whatever God has, has laid on, on your heart and, and has gifted you in. The ultimate expression of that is when, when that is given over to him. Our life and our lifestyle is an expression. I, though, um, I've heard stories where people have said, let me follow you around for a few days and, I, and I'll know what it is that you have affection for in your life. I also heard someone say once, let me look at your, um, at your bank statement and I'll tell you what you've got affections for. Similar, similar sort of thing. So our lifestyle, it is the greatest measure of, of our affections, the things that we are directed towards, that we, the things that we love. It says in Romans 12 verse 1 that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And the NIV and others translate this as, as your spiritual act of worship. So this, this is worship. Presenting our bodies. Living sacrifice. Where's, where's the music? Come on, strike up a chord here. Where's, where's the song? And when there is a, a, a lack in our, in our worship, in the power in our worship, ultimately it is going to come down to our, our heart condition. In John 4, uh, Jesus had an encounter with the Samaritan woman. And this conversation went to worship. And the woman's question was, was sincere. And she said, I know there, there are different ways to worship. There's Samaritan's way, there's the Jewish way, but tell me, what, what's the right way? How, how is this meant to happen? And Jesus explained that the one true God is seeking after worshippers that would worship in spirit and in truth. In a historical sense, the Samaritan religion was known to be enthusiastic. They had the flashing lights. They had electric guitars and drums. And Sorry, little, little, little humour. Stick with me. They, you know, but they had, it, was, it was inspiring. And I, you know, no doubt people came out of 
their, their times of, of worship feeling good. But there was something missing in their, in their worship, in their, in their expression of worship, because in the midst of all their exuberance, they lacked the fundamental truths of who God was, which should have been the motivation for their worship. And the Jews had, had a different problem. They had the truth. It was right there it, through centuries, through generations. It had been revealed to them by God himself. And they built an entire culture around this truth. But unfortunately, their desire to preserve the truth, both the divinely revealed truth, but also the truth, the versions that they'd created around it, uh, that they'd worked out themselves had become routine and there was a lack of any emotional experience that might accompany it. And we can see these, these extremes in the modern church, can't we? We can see things that are just way out there, but, but you know, is God, is God in it? And this is, I'm, I'm not judging any, any other church or anything at all. That's, that's between them and God. But, and you can have the other, which is just so conscripted and, and controlled and contrived that, that there is no opportunity to, to feel or experience at all. And God wants our worship to be a balance between our, our heads, the things that we know about him, uh, you know, the, the truth, but also about, about how we feel towards him and how the spirit is working in us. And so it's verse 23 that says that the true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. There's one thing for certain about worship. We all worship something or someone. We do. Worship is not necessarily religious. You can worship whatever you like. But probably even better said would be, we will worship whatever we like. Do you hear me? We will worship whatever we like. And we've been designed that way. There is a part of us, a part of how God has created us that wants to invest our heart and our life into something. And ultimately, we will find ourselves attaching ourselves to something, someone. And obviously, God has created us with a free will to choose who or what that may be. And his desire is that he would be the object of our affection. Jack Hayford once said that worship changes the worshipper into the image of the one worshipped. Worship changes the worshipper into the image of the one worship. Isn't it funny in 1 Corinthians 2, no, sorry, 2 Corinthians 3, um, Paul says that we are being changed from glory to glory. What are we going to look like? More and more like Jesus. That's this transformation that, that happens. We become more and more like that which we worship. And as we, as we worship Jesus, as we know him, we are being transformed more and more into his likeness. It's a divine work. So the problem has never been the how of worship. It has been the who. And have a listen to these words from Isaiah 1, and it's verses 11 to 13. And these are, these are really hard words. This is God speaking. He says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? 
I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you will come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. How's that for a a slap in the face? (laughs) It's a strong word. God's people had the hows. They'd had the methodology. They had the, the process. But at this time, their worship was detestable and unacceptable to God. We don't want to be in that place, in our gathering here, in our home, in wherever it might be, that, that we have all the hows going, but, but we're creating something that may be detestable to God. No one wants to sign up for that. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And it's always been about the heart. It could be really easy for us to think that we need amazing times here of of worship in our church because that's going to be the start of revival or because that's what our, our young people need to see or you know we can have all of these reasons as to why we think this this would be great. But we need to have these times because he's worthy of it. That that is our ultimate focus. It's because he's worthy of it. We worship him because he's worthy. If our focus is on the how, then our attention is on on the how. And as a musician, and many musicians here would would know, we can get caught up in the how. In the microphones, in the sounds, in the selection of chords, is that instrument out of tune? Is this not not right? And we we can get caught up in this. And I'm a horrible visitor to another church if I'm in the area because the first half of the service I'm just listening and analyzing and it's terrible you don't want me to visit a church <laughs> I feel safe saying is here this is my home church so I can get in straight away here but but it's 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 true you know and and my mind goes to the the how because I've spent a lot of years on on the how of, of doing the how but if that's where my attention is I'll be distracted and I will miss out on an opportunity to encounter God when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back, he forgot all about form and structure, and he was so excited about the manifest presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. This is the manifest presence of God, and it was here again that he danced around in his underwear. Now, I know there's debates about what, that might, what this linen ephod might be, but, but certainly his wife didn't think that what he was dressed in was appropriate, however, whatever level of dress he was in. He didn't care about the how. He was just so pumped that he was the presence of God and I'm, I'm into this. I'm so excited. So the how wasn't important to him. His wife, however, did think the how was important. She was a bit more concerned about the form and what might be appropriate for a king in worship. Certainly not dancing around in your linen ephod, David. She was distracted. She judged the situation. But something that has always really struck me about this is that, that out, of, out of judgment, out of this criticism, here is this woman that experienced barrenness in her life, that she never had a, had a child. And how often can it be? And I, I believe that, 
that some of the barrenness that, that we have seen in some of the Western churches possibly come from, from criticism, from judgments that, that have been had over, over decades. And so we don't, we don't want to be a barren church because, because of our judgment or our need to look after the hows and what's, what's appropriate and things. Anyway, that's just a bit of a side thought. So we need to focus on the who. As we've already stated, worship doesn't revolve just around a Sunday, but it is a whole life thing. It is a a personal thing. And even in our corporate sense here, ultimately in a room full of people, it comes back to the individual's heart and our response to God. Um, I know over the last couple of years, I had a, had a significant throat issue over about two years. And, and um, f- for me, who, who have been a part of music for a, for a lot of years, that, that had, has been gutting in different ways. And many of you wouldn't know fully the, the journey that I've been on with that because it's something that had been such a huge part of my life. Now, I praise God a few months ago, I had a healing. And I feel freedom to be able to sing again. And, and it's a great thing. But something's changed. You know, and I've had, there's been this sort of re-evaluation and this shift that I've had to do because this thing that I, that I did, and, and look, years ago it had been a part of my identity. That's been long dealt with. But, but there's this whole aspect of my expression of, to, to God, even sitting in the congregation, I felt hampered because of discomfort and pain that I'd, that I'd had in my voice. That has, has been a challenge and something that I've had to, to learn and, and grow through. It wasn't part of my notes there, but I feel it's, it's important that, that, that it's still, it, is a, it is a personal thing. It isn't just about what happens here or here. It's about what happens in our home as well and what's going on in, in the heart. And sometimes I've felt a whole lot less expressive because I've had part of my expression been, I felt robbed from me in a, in a sense. But I've had to grow through that and learn through that. I believe that some of the most special times of worship that God has in store for us are not here in our services, but are intended for in our home or in our own quiet place. Because we can encounter God anywhere. Some of my best times of, of worship I've had, and I'm talking about real encounters of worship, some of them have been while I'm driving the car. I've, I've had some amazing times. And I think about it, some of them have been a bit scary. <laughs> I realise that I'm driving again. Um, I think I've had some people probably looking on going, is he trying to get a bee out of his car or something? I don't know, because I'm, you know, I'm really, really into this. And then I realise there are other, other, are other people around at that intersection. But... <laughs> But they, they have, some of those have been really special times, really moving heart times. And in biblical history, you'll see both as well. You'll see both encounters that took place on a corporate level, but also those that took place on a personal level. And we need, we need both of those. So a couple of dot points here for those who like to take notes. And I've got a, this is my we will not have significant worship when... When we offer God the leftovers of our divided loyalty. That's the thing, I was thinking about that this week, that when we divide something, we take something out, what's left? It's, it's leftovers. And we don't want to be giving that 
to God. Let's not give him the leftovers of our life. When we approach worship with no thought of giving, but only of getting. If we've come to get something out of worship today, then, then we've got it wrong. The question we should be asking is, what is God's experience of the expression of worship today? What did God get out of today? And that's not because God's insecure and needy or anything. It's because he's worthy. When we go through an entire worship time and singing about him, but we never say anything to him. Now, some of the about songs are, are really important. Our declarations, and again, in Scripture, you'll see both, both those declarations of who he is. He is the almighty God. And they are great songs, and we stir one another up. They are almost a person-to-person expression in, in some of those. But we also need those expressions that are to him as well, those personal things. And we saw that in Psalm 63. When we say that we've worshipped, but there's no word or act of repentance, surrender, or sacrifice, because worship is an offering. When we go on with worship despite broken relationships, unforgiveness and bitterness in the body, and you can note Matthew 5.23 if you're wanting to, to look, look that one up. When we pack so much into our, our worship that there is no time to be quiet and listen to him. We need to take the pace off things sometimes. We need the time to hear that still small voice. It's not always in the storm and the winds and the earthquakes and things, is it? Sometimes we need to wait on that still small voice. And we won't have significant worship when we measure the success of our worship on how we feel. But how does it make God feel? I know that touches on another point, but it's worthy of revisiting. So we will have significant worship when we truly come to adore him and to meet with him. And I say come here or come in your car or wherever that might be. When we take the time to listen to what he might be saying to us individually and corporately. When we are convicted of our sin and we're willing to repent of it, surrendering to do his will. When we have dealt with relational issues that might exist in, in the body. And that's that same Matthew 5 reference. And finally, we'll have significant worship when, when what takes publicly here on a Sunday is the same as that which take part, takes place in our hearts every day. So are you with me this morning? Yeah. yeah. So I want to tell you a little story about a boy and his experience of a circus. And I heard this story one time. Now, this is, this is like 100 years ago sort of thing. So, you know... So circuses are a bit different now to what they were then. And there's this little boy, and he'd never seen a circus, and he'd heard there was one coming to town on Saturday. And this was at the time when the circus arriving was a big deal. You know, not just that they start setting up the tents and things, but the coming into the town was a huge thing. You know, and everyone could see, and people would line the streets. And he asked his father, 
could I, can I go to the circus? Now, I've never been to the circus before. And, he, and his dad said he could, as long as he did all of his jobs and, and everything. And Saturday morning, he was up and he was on to these, these jobs. Great to have motivated kids doing their jobs. <laughs> chores were finished, and the boy says, I've done all my chores, Dad. Can I, can I go to the circus? And his dad gives him a dollar bill, the most money he'd ever seen in his life. And, he, and he's got this dollar, and he heads on down to the, down to the town. And he... Um, so off he, off he goes, he's excited, he's pumped, and as he approaches the town, he sees the people that are lining the streets as the circus is parading into the town. And he's standing there and he's looking through the gaps and looking at all the cool things. He's seeing the animals in cages, it was okay back then, we don't really have that so much now. There were the bands, and, and finally coming up the rear, there was this, there was this clown and the boy was so excited as, as the clown passed, he pushed through the, cloud, the crowd and he handed over his dollar bill. He was so excited, he handed over this dollar bill thinking that he'd seen the circus. <laughs> but all he'd seen was the parade. He'd seen this thing coming into the town. He turned around and he went home. It's actually, a, I actually find this a really sad story that, that this, you know, this, this boy had come to this place of, of, of feeling like he'd, he'd experienced all that there, there was, but all he saw was the parade. And he'd, he'd given up his dollar for the, for the parade. And when we reflect on, on the main, uh, main event um, and we, we consider our coming together here on a Sunday. You know, the main event isn't any of these things. Ultimately, it's about us encountering Jesus, about us, us knowing Him and relating to Him. And we can, we can come with, with intent to worship God. We can come, but we can see the parade. We've got, they had a bit of parade this morning in songs and some worship and some, you know, some singing of songs and some preaching and some communion. And the things that we do and yet we could still miss the main event, which is relating with Jesus. And if we didn't know any different, we can hand over our, our dollar. I'm not talking about the offering now. But we hand over what we've come, what we've brought for, for the parade when, when there is another whole level we can experience in God and in relating with him. Because God is, is calling us deeper. And that's what we read in Psalm 63, wasn't it? It was the cry of David's heart. I'm thirsty for you, God. I desire you more than anything else. And this is, this is how we get into the circus. Circus is not an analogy. You're not all a bunch of clowns, okay? But going deeper, it's not going to come by us just mixing it up on a Sunday. It's not going to come by choosing the, the latest songs or by, by the flashing lights or whether the window shutters are up or down or, or whatever. It's not going to come by, by any of that. It's going to come by hearts that are intent for God. God isn't hiding. He isn't playing hard to get. Jesus said that those who seek will find says that in Matthew 7 7 
And Jer Jeremiah 29, 13 says it a similar way and, and offers us a key. It says, and if you will seek me and find me, you, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I'm just finishing with a quote from Rudyard Kipling, a bit of an odd person to quote at the end of a message. But these words I found really striking. If you don't get what you want, it's a sign that either you didn't seriously want it or that you tried to bargain over the price. I think he nailed it there. Do we want it? Or are we trying to bargain over the price this morning? What will the cost be? So church, this morning I want to encourage you, and I'm still pressing in towards the circus. I'm still trying to get there. I think I know sometimes I've fallen short and just seen the parade. But I, I, want, to, I want to get to the main event. I want to know the main event. I want to, want, want to be at the real, the real show, which is knowing Jesus, relating with him. So as I hand back to, to Kiri and the music team, now we may take some time now just to really press in. Can we go another level deeper? Amen.